Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at changingdenver. Denver's changing. We can help. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, made it. Coming to you from the X Access, it's John of All Trades with your host. John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 176. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this show, a podcast about podcasting. That's right, it's meta. It's time we get back to the essence of the art form. And we talk with Kat Jaffe, the founder of House of Pod. House of Pod, you can find here in Denver. I went down to their space. They have a beautiful studio in this really like cool old building that uh, I think she calls it the Olympic Club. And it used to have like a boxing ring in it and stuff. It's an awesome, awesome building in like the Curtis Park sort of Rhino neighborhood. And she reached out to me because Paul Caroli works at House of Pod. And he said, you know what? If you want to get the word out about House of Pod, have John interview. Let Talk to John which Paul is just doing tremendous work with this season of Changing Denver. You heard his ad at the beginning of this show. And Changing Denver, his whole Rocky Flat series, is outstanding. And Paul is someone that I am proud to collaborate with. We co-founded the Denver Podcast Network together. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. You hear that at the beginning of each episode. Check it out at denverpodcast.net. And I remind you of all of these facts because of a conversation I had recently in Grand Junction with my friends. You heard last week's episode with Vinny Fiorello from Less Than Jake. That was one of my all-time favorite episodes to do. Just getting to talk to someone from Less Than Jake. I mean, God, what a thrill. I love that band forever. And we were kind of just talking about podcasting and, you know, what are you guys listening to and all that. And they asked me, naturally, what are you listening to? And I said, I don't really listen to podcasts. And whenever I tell people that, they're always kind of surprised by it. And it's not that I don't listen to podcasts. I listen to a ton of podcasts. Changing Denver, I just mentioned. Uh, Motherfucker in a Cape, another Denver Podcast Network member. Uh, Real Nerds, I'll check in on them from time to time. Anyone who is a part of our network, I'm sort of up to speed. Denver Orbit did a great show. They won the Westward Editor's Choice this year. But as far as, like, other podcasts, I don't have a ton of time for that. But in the past, I've spent some time listening to Radio Lab. WTF with Mark Marin, This American Life, Nerdist, a lot of the big ones. My wife listens to Pod Save America. She listens to Stuff You Should Know, so sometimes I catch some of those tangentially. My Favorite Murder, that's like her favorite podcast. But the point I make when I say I don't really listen to podcasts is that podcasting on its own is sort of time-consuming. It's labor-intensive. You spend a lot of time with long chunks of audio. And this isn't even the only podcast I produce. I also do a twice-monthly radio show through the Connect and Collaborate Network on behalf of one of my clients. So I am booking interviews all the time. I am editing content. I am conducting interviews. 
I've got radio on the brain. I've got, I've got a lot of ventures going with podcasting. So it reminds me of when I talked to Savannah King. She is Savannah the Balloon Twister. And her day job, she does social media. So she said, my Savannah the Balloon Twister page is a little bit neglected because after all day of doing social media, the last thing I want to do is more social media. And it's kind of the same for me because after I sort of work on this podcast and it consumes my thoughts at all times, in addition to my twice monthly radio show, in addition to the other ventures that I'm pitching, thinking about the Denver Podcast Network, making sure things are going well with that. Things are in stasis a little bit right now, but I do think about it. Kind of the last thing I want to do is spend more time talking about podcasting, but Talking to Kat from House of Pod refreshed the well for me. And it's like, God, podcasting is great. That's why I got into this four years ago. And it felt so good to talk to her because she is one of the few people I've ever met who thinks about podcasting more than I do. And that's pretty remarkable. And what she's built at House of Pod is a way to eliminate some of that isolation, break down some of those barriers to entry, that you experience as you're trying to create a podcast? How do you get over that content hump? Because you're filled with momentum and you go, hey, I'm going to make a podcast. And then you do. And then once you get into it, you go, wow, this is a lot of work. How do you keep people going? That's what House of Pod is all about. So I'm proud to feature her work on this week's episode. There's a lot here. And Kat is a remarkably interesting person. She talks about how she fell in love with podcasts while doing a food tourism company in eastern Turkey as part of a Fulbright scholarship, if I'm not mistaken. And something, I, I apologize, I should be better about doing these intros, something having to do with National Geographic. I think it's their Young Scholars Program, if I'm remembering that correctly. If I'm not, Kat, my sincere apologies. It's in the episode, it's right at the front end. And it's a fascinating look into how sort of the culture of a very remote area will foster a love of a media form. I love this conversation. I love what Kat's doing. I think House of Pod is a remarkable organization, so you should check them out on the web, houseofpod.org. And while you're on the web, John of All Trades is on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod, iTunes and Stitcher, you can find John of All Trades. Just type J-O-N of All Trades dot U-S. Nope. That is the web address. Just type in John of All Trades. You'll find it. Hit that subscribe button. You'll get brand new episodes downloaded right to you. Such as this one, episode 176. Her name is Kat Jaffe. She is the founder of House of Pod right here in Denver. She's doing incredible work. And let's learn more about it because her episode starts right now. <laughs> And then when I'm in trouble, Catherine. <laughs> when you're in trouble? <laughs> yeah. Catherine. <laughs> it's as if you've known me my whole life. Oh, that's funny. Well, <laughs> see, it's perfect because I'm a Jonathan. Oh, yeah. And so over the course of my life, I've been, I started as Jonathan. I had an art teacher and a friend's mom who shortened it to John sort of against my will, mm -hmm. which I wasn't really into. But eventually, you just can't fight City Hall. No, you can't. And so I became John, much to my parents' dismay. And then in college, I was Johnny. And so I've been pretty much all of them, except for, I would say, Nate or Nathan. <laughs> I didn't know that was short for Jonathan. It's not. <laughs> but I could see but it's I thought... the latter portion, yeah. It's, yeah. John it's, Nathan. <laughs> it's actually my Uncle Frank used to call me Joe Nathan. Oh, okay, yeah. 
So you are Kat. You are Catherine. Have you ever been Kathy? No, my aunt is Kathy, or she was, and then she became Kate. I actually come from a long lineage of Catherine's, and that's where the de' Medici comes from because my great, 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 great aunt, I think, was Catherine de' Medici, or that's what they say, and that's who I'm named after. That's a cool name. It's a cool name. So Catherine de' Medici Jaffe, (laughs) Cat Jaffe. Yeah. (laughs) And you are the founder Mm -hmm. of House of Pod, which we are in right now, and this is a much better setup. I'll make sure to get photos. Than I usually do. I'm, you know, I, I have my tiny little suitcase. People go, what does it take to start a podcast? And I go, really not much. Um, but you can level up and come here, which is nice. That's yeah. a great option. <laughs> you can. It's so true. I say the same thing. I'm like, use what you have. Yeah. Um, but the benefit of House of Pod is you don't have to buy any of the equipment and you can start with a lot of advantage for not that much. So yeah, at abs- least that's what we're trying. <laughs> well, no, for sure. And what's funny is I went on John Caldera's show devil's advocate after i won that westward deal and they they wanted to talk about podcasting because caldera is a big like talk radio nerd Mm -hmm. and caldera is someone i don't necessarily always agree with politically but we were talking podcasting and he said what does it take to to start this and i said like 500 bucks if if you want and then here you wouldn't even have to have any overhead and buy equipment you could just do it right yeah you just come as 100 bucks a month that's it wow and I mean, access to really high end equipment. So if you're producing a show like say changing Denver, mm-hmm. which as we record this, I'm not sure when this will go up, but as we record this, he was just featured on uh, Denver seven for his Rocky flat series, which yeah. is so cool. Has he been <laughs> producing that here? Um, he comes in and out, okay. but so much of his work is done in the field. So, yeah. you know, Paul already has his own <laughs> setup, and that's great. I mean, really where the studio is an advantage for folks is if you kind of fall on one end of a big spectrum, but you could be on either end. Okay. So either you are just starting podcasting and you don't want to invest in the equipment right. and you want to just give it a shot. You can come in and you can have at it. We offer free classes on Tuesday nights. We teach nice. you how to use the studio. It's part of the membership and you get to just go without having to take on that initial investment. So uh, that's for the beginners. And then for the more advanced folks who want to be able to have their files saved on a server that they can access anywhere, who want to call in guests from all over and make it sound like they're in the studio, who yeah. want to be able to field phone calls during their shows, who want to do things live, who want to have so much more functionality. They're like the super podcasters. Right. Then this space is also great for you because you can have guests. It's a central meeting location right in downtown Denver. It's not your home or your basement. Right. We can provide certain guarantees here of at least no loud lights or refrigerators or air conditioners, things like that. And oh, so the air you conditioner. Can, I know. The air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> know. Exactly. We put that on reverb sometimes and you just hear me, air conditioner, air conditioner. <laughs> but um in any case, so you have that kind of guarantee and so that's for the higher higher production value podcaster. So it's really those ends and then everything in between can still be accommodated, but it's kind of cool to be something that's on the high end of people's needs, but also the very intro end oh, yeah. for what people need. And, you know, affordable because going back to Caldera, he said, you know, you used to have to go to a radio station to get mm-hmm. trained on this stuff. And yeah. so this is such a great, like it's an elimination of a barrier to entry for a lot of people because, I have like a, I'd call it a one sheeter, but it's actually like four pages Mm -hmm. because people will ask me, how do you start a podcast? And they always think we're going to talk about production, you know, like what software should I use? What equipment should I buy? And I go, no, first of all, you need to know why does your show exist at all? Exactly. 
what is your show? What do you hope it, what would you like it to be? What do you want it to do? Mm-hmm. What do you want someone to think, do, or feel after they have listened to your show? Mm-hmm. And they go, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And I go, well then don't worry about the technical stuff. Exactly. That's We did a podcasting 101 and that was entirely what I did. I was like, I mean, the way that I think of it is I separate people into a bunch of groups actually, but there's two main groups and it's, do you just want to learn about podcasting technique or do you want to actually produce a podcast? Right. There's all these things. And then if you want to produce a podcast, are you an expert and are you trying to share what you know? Or are you a learner and you're trying to learn from the experts? Right. So what are you trying to get out of it? And then does your audience care and what do they want to get out of it? And then do you have the attention span to continue? And, um, you know, there's all these questions like then only after you can answer all of, of the questions of why you're actually doing this. And if you have the heart to continue after right. one or two episodes, there's a bunch of then hows that you go into. And then even from there, it's everything from a smartphone. And I've heard great podcasts that are done with really basic recordings to something like a $10,000 studio, like where you are at House of Pod. Right. And it's like, it reminds me of uh, Steven Soderbergh, I think, either filmed or is filming an entire movie on an iPhone. Awesome. And Soderbergh yeah. is, he's one of those inspiring people where mm-hmm. he's doing interesting boundary pushing stuff all the time. Yeah. And although that's not directly related to podcast, I feel like it's almost a spiritual sort of kindred spirit. In that way, that's spirit twice. That's bad writing. (laughs) But uh, I'm curious. So something about podcasting that I talk about a lot is there's no middle class of podcasting right now. You know, there is sort of you're making a ton of money. You're either Bill Simmons or Mark Mm -hmm. Maron or Adam Carolla or Joe Rogan or whoever. Right. And then there's pretty much everyone else who is scraping by on pennies. Uh, or just doing it as a labor of love, or mm-hmm. I like to think of it as sort of a lost leader because it's something that I would just be doing anyway. Like mm-hmm. I can't not do it, but uh, it 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 affords me certain opportunities. So I'm curious, what is your background with podcasting, and why start the House of Pod? Oh, that's a good question. I think, gosh, well, first I have to really think through the first statement: Is there a middle class of podcasting? Because I don't have an opinion, but I think it's a provocative mm-hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to keep thinking on that. Okay. And then going directly to your question, um, and yeah. I can tell you why I asked that. We'll circle back here in a second. <laughs> okay. Oh, so I think hearkening back to something else that you were describing of filming a whole movie from your cell phone. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, that uh, in a lot of ways that wasn't me, but that also was me for a time in my life. Um, and I lived on the Turkish-Iranian borders as a Fulbright scholar and a National Geographic young explorer. Wow, that uh, that's a remarkable distinction. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it definitely um, has been historically. I don't know what's going to happen to the program, um, unfortunately, with a lot of the funding shifts. But sure, yeah. So I lived in this pretty remote part of the world, and I was the only native English speaker um, for hundreds of miles. I had this this driver's plate on my car that was 001 okay. because I was the very first foreigner to have a car registered in my province Wow! as like a, a someone who's not a Turkish national who owns a, a car. Okay. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Um, so I lived in this town and I was running a honey tasting tourism company. 
And so we would bring people in. And one key thing to know about this area, it has really incredible biodiversity, specifically around flora and fauna, and the original Caucasian honeybee. And it's um, almost like a UN of beekeepers, where beekeepers come from all different regions in the summertime to produce this really incredible multifloral honey. Wow. But the local communities don't really benefit. It's more the migratory beekeepers. So I was working with a population of local women to learn how to tap into the honey flow of the region and then set up tour operations around their emerging businesses. And as I was doing this, especially trying to get funding through Kickstarter, I ran a Kickstarter campaign um, to raise awareness from Nat Geo as part of the Explorers program and some of the other work I was doing, I had to tell those stories. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't have a lot of technology. Um, so a lot of my original stuff all just happened from an iPhone. I ran a Kickstarter campaign essentially from uh, from an iPhone, and we raised over $40,000. And in that year, it was 2012, we were the highest grossing um, we run one of the highest grossing food campaigns and the highest grossing campaign from Turkey. Wow. Sure. Did you uh, exceed your goal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it, 35 and I think we got 42K. Nice. And it was a big deal back then. It was because it was like this little doinky, you know, honey tasting tours right. in Eastern Turkey. And I was painting bottle cap earrings. That was the gift. I had to paint <laughs> like 500 bottle caps. For, and it took me months. That was all I did every night was just listen to podcasts right. and paint bottle caps. And so the podcast thing is key. And this is kind of a circuitous route to get back to your question. But in the region that I lived in, there was very low technology. There was mm-hmm. also very low bandwidth. And there was very low English entertainment, which is fine. I speak Turkish, but I did miss my home, which is the oh, United sure. States. I missed peers that could openly talk about a lot of things that culturally are just not appropriate on the countryside of Eastern Turkey. Really? Like what? Oh, uh, like a lot of things. <laughs> like, so what could you talk about? Mm, I talked about food a lot. Okay. That was really prominent. I talked about family. Um, people always ask, especially I started this work when I was like 22, 23, They'd always say, Anan Babun Varma, which means like, do you have a mother or a father? Do you have one? Yeah, because they just thought this was so crazy that a a very young woman (laughs) was out living with nomadic beekeepers on the Iranian border, just out there. It was so like staggering for them. Yeah, it's just alien to them. Like the entire concept, right? You're halfway around the world with no no family Mm -hmm. and probably, if I'm guessing about cultural norms here, I don't want to speculate too much, but, and no man. Yes, yeah, exactly. That is entirely it. And so they were just kind of like, how did you end up here and who let you? (laughs) Yeah, who let you? What permission did you get to be here? And so I had to talk about family a lot because it's the first question anyone ever (laughs) asks. Yeah, I mean, you talk about these things called dizzies. They're um, they're like soap operas, Turkish soap operas. I watch those a lot. Are they any good? I loved them. Okay, they were fantastic. They're incredibly slow and right. dramatic. It's like foreplay is like that one time that really important woman character made tea for the male character when he was sick and it was the tea of linden which is like this healing tea and he looked at her in this way that he's never looked at her before are you familiar (laughs) with that i mean this sounds (laughs) so talk about that moment (laughs) this sounds like um a concept called like uh slow cinema are you familiar with slow cinema no (laughs) Uh, but there's a filmmaker named bella tar oh where 
there will be movies that are like four hours long <laughs> and literally like nothing happens for minutes at yeah. a time. And you go, who has the attention span for this? Yeah. And it, it's like, you know what? It's not right or wrong. This is just the entertainment that we have. And yeah. so you kind of get accustomed to it. Well, a lot of the food that we make out in that part of Eastern Turkey, and I say we because I ran a uh, food tourism company and I did this for many years, um, but it's so time intensive mm -hmm. and so labor intensive and especially out there. And that's one of the, the benefits of running food tours is there's just very little processed anything. So everything from, I mean, you have sour, you have a sourdough type starter. It's not sourdough, but you have, you have your, your yeast essentially. And like, other than that, everything else, like you are even making your own flour and there's all different kinds of grains that they're making flour from. Like everything is made from scratch or wow. something that's passed on. And so it just making food takes most of your day. So a four <laughs> hour dizzy or, you know, soap opera where nothing happens is great because you can pay attention in and out. Right. And you didn't miss anything. <laughs> you can go back and they're still just staring at each other and you're like, great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry about what just happened. Wow. So in any case, with that as the entertainment and the conversation, and especially one other thing that is just a detail in that part of Turkey, if you can think about Turkey as being a very wide country, um, it should have multiple time zones, but it doesn't because they're trying to keep it all together. <laughs> wow. So the sun where I lived would set at 2.30 in the wintertime, like 2.33, the sun goes down and then you have the evenings of just quiet and you the can't- endless evenings. Endless evening. Yeah. And so I would just sit and listen to podcasts. Yeah. And endlessly with the evening. And in the same vein, getting distances took a very long time. And, and you can't really read because you, you have to sort of be aware. And it's very arduous, circuitous routes to get to these different villages where I worked. And so the only option is to listen to content. Yeah. And it's like back then, uh, maybe there was Spotify. It was just maybe coming right. out. But it was like podcasts have actually been around for a really long time and so for has like more than a decade yeah downloadable radio and so that was the, the only thing i could really access on my bandwidth so i've been listening mm. to podcasts for an incredibly long time and then what were your favorites back then i mean the 600 pound gorillas in the room it was this american life mine too of course and radio lab i loved selected shorts by pri that radio lab though for me <laughs> is too much of a ping pongy edit it is where it like overproduced is the word that it, people use. Yeah, it, where then like it'll be two people talking, and the next person will start talking before the previous person's finished. And I'm like, you edit it intentionally that way. And the hard thing for me is, I, and we're getting a little wonky here, but I'm assuming that's on multiple tracks. Yes, it is. That seems like a nightmare of an edit. And it gives me a panic attack thinking about doing it that way. You should look up um, on Twitter. Sometimes they share the edits oh and, god and it looks gross like visually <laughs> and it is amazing and i can tell you they have a folder for like ums and what and like wow. all these different sounds because they edit them in it's part of the sound design wow that's wild yeah but in any case so i listen to a lot of podcasts gosh this is the longest answer i could possibly give you i'm so sorry no this is good stuff mm. because i mean it's not every day on the show where we're talking about uh food tourism in <laughs> eastern turkey <laughs> Which is fascinating to me. So it, it is, and 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 why it would lead to starting a podcasting company. Well, so 
I listened to it and then I was also in charge of collecting all these stories and we used a video camera and then right. I also just wrote notes and looking back, I just felt like we did it wrong. Hmm. Like I, it was kind of a missed opportunity because here I was living with all of these people and for starters, anything we were producing most of the time they couldn't understand it. Like if I was translating from Turkish into English, right? so they didn't get to enjoy the media that was about them. So that kind of felt wrong. And then it wasn't um, participatory enough when it really needed to be their voices. We weren't doing a great job capturing that. It was so much more about the visuals. It was the photography. It was the video. Right. And then, well, when... you associate National Geographic <laughs> with just incredible photography. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and this is the Explorers program, so it's more of an emphasis on research. Right. But still, it's. But yeah, still, it's... you hear that brand. Yeah. And it's you very think visual. visual. It's very visual. And so there wasn't as much of an emphasis on capturing their voices and just in terms of an interaction with a person. When you put a camera between you two, you don't oh, yeah. make eye contact. But when you are holding up a microphone, um, which is actually something we've removed from this process here in the studio. Which but, is nice. <laughs> but when you're holding up a microphone in someone's face and you're right there with them, it allows for a certain kind of intimacy um, and comfort, actually. Because we found when we would pull out the cameras, all these smiley, charismatic, <sighs> funny people would just like... It's oh just, yeah, you know, frowns. <laughs> I've done media training, and the most gregarious person you turn the camera on, their face will drop. It's and, so uncomfortable, and it's like, where did you go? <laughs> yeah, like you ghosted out of your own body. They did. They left, and so I thought about this for a long time after, and was and still thinking to myself, how do we use audio and podcasting to capture more of these stories? It's radio is absolutely the medium for this kind of work. And when I came back to the United States um, and I returned for security reasons because the region just got a little um, harrowing. A little unstable, yeah. Yeah, it just wasn't right. Um, it still is not, I don't think, for this kind of thing. It was for a little bit, but then um, stuff shifted. But in any case, I came back to the United States and every company I worked for, I always played a marketing role because that's what I know how to do. I built this little company with an iPhone on the Eastern right. border and got a bunch of attention. I mean, we were listed as a top travel experience in BBC. Like we, we got a lot of attention yeah. for something that was for all intents and purposes, so local and so specific, but people cared and we gave them a reason to care. And so other companies were like, okay, now do that for me. Yeah. So I worked in marketing departments for so many other companies. And every place I went, I said, podcasts, we have to have a podcast. <laughs> and they shot me down. Like there's not a single employer that I had that was supportive of the podcast idea. They're kicking themselves now maybe. But after a certain point, I knew that I wanted to go into this. And so I went and enrolled in um, a podcasting workshop. It was like a week-long workshop. And I learned great things, but as I left, I just couldn't stop crying, <laughs> just tears, like inexplicably. And I had to go back to work and I just was still crying and it was awkward. Okay. And the, and the primary reason is I felt that everything that I learned in my podcasting class was this allegory for life in that mm. you will be out seeking connection and stories with people, but it will, you will be very lonely and to produce good audio, you have to sit alone in your closet underneath a bunch of blankets between jackets and, um, and figure it out on your own. <laughs> and I just thought for, for an industry that cares so much about stories and connecting, why is it so damn lonely? Yeah. 
And so that's why I wanted to start House of Pod. Okay. And that is a spectacular answer <laughs> uh, because podcasting, people don't realize, is a, it's a very solitary pursuit. It's a lot like writing in that way. I mean, it's 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 not like writing with your ears, but it's like writing for your ears. Yeah. And so to that end, I mean, my favorite part of the show, and I've said this a bunch, is what we're doing right now. Right. Like this moment, because everything else is like work. Yeah. I mean, how long did it take us to get this set up? Right. Weeks. And so when you do sort of when you're doing that with a number of people, you know, you have a show that's weekly. And so you need to reach out to a lot of people. You got to have a lot of pitches out there all at the same time, managing all that and then editing the episode, recording an intro, recording an outro, writing the blog post, then uh, pushing it out. And so I have to push out today's episode as we record this, yeah. you know, um, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. So if you can almost find some community, I think that's a tremendous value proposition that, that you're offering. That's it. I know that I'm capable of doing things as are all of us, right? Like we can all figure it out and make it work for us. You can do it with an iPhone. You can do it with an expensive mic. You can do it at home or in your garage. Like there are over 500 thousand podcasts on itunes right now yeah and that's not because there were podcasting co-working spaces everywhere. <laughs> like everyone's been doing it more or less alone yeah and i just thought man that's kind of sad especially when something is creative i'm a really collaborative person i think one of the biggest health risks we face in the united states is social isolation hmm. and um i grew up with much 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 older parents and I look at the way, going, hearkening back to my experiences in Turkey, where you have these really multi-generational communities all living in a house. Yeah. So you have, you know, grandkids, parents, other kids, next door neighbors' kids, and then you have grandparents and then great-grandparents, and they're all in a room together. Yeah. And then you come to the United States and you go out in a bar, and the, the, the times in which I see someone over 60 are just so slim. And part of it is aging looks different. People age great here. You can't tell how old they are. <laughs> right. But also part of it is that we really stick to people who are just like us. And our ideas stick in those same kind of circles. And so there's also a little bit of an empathy gap in the United States that I see the need for um, democratized platforms for communication like House of Pod, where people of all kinds have the act, have great access to high quality recording equipment, yeah. so they can just tell their story, and no one's limiting them on what they can say or do. And then also having these communities that bring together all of that diversity of people. So we have an emphasis of offering classes to senior citizens and junior citizens, with the hope of bringing them in. So when you come to House of Pod. In every event that we hold, we say kid-friendly, and we design our programming to be kid-friendly and senior-friendly right? Um, because we want multi-generational experiences here where you come in, and not only are you not alone, but you're learning from a lot of different people on, on how, to, how to produce, how to tell stories, what's out there. You know what I'm struck by most in listening to that is, so I got my master's degree in speech communication, mm -hmm. rhetoric, argumentation, <laughs> that kind of thing. And what you just described, you have got the ethos, logos, and pathos. Oh, check that like, out. Like all three. So <laughs> I, and I want to unpack it here for a minute because first of all, the ethos part, you know, you identified a missed opportunity for podcasting, right? Uh, in this, what you were doing, you took a podcasting class and it compelled you to bring community together. The pathos part is 
we want to build empathy, right? And that is the whole reason for this show's existence. That's why over 170 plus episodes, I've featured so many different types of work and people are identified frequently by their work. So it's like, okay, let's humanize that. Let's see what it's like. And if we can understand each other better, then the world is a lot less scary. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the, the logos part, it's like we want to democratize communications platforms. So there's so much going on in that answer rhetorically that I go, man, that is fantastic because it's like the total package answer, right? Uh, <laughs> um, that makes me feel better because I'm, I actually really love being behind the microphone as in the person holding it, not the person speaking it because I always think back, oh, did I really say what I wanted to say? So thank you for making me feel better. I said course. what I wanted to say, the ethos, the pathos, and the logos. I was thinking about all of that for sure. <laughs> Were you really? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. People don't generally think that way, except for my wife, which makes me happy to be married yeah, to her. That's great. Um, which is fantastic. And talking about the generational aspect of this, you know, bringing in senior citizens and junior citizens, is that why you call this House of Pod? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was that an intentional branding choice? It was. It was. Because I wanted, we say it's where your story goes live or where your story can live or wherever it is. Um, I think we're going to actually take off that slogan name but the whole idea is it, it's it's a home it's a home for you and your story mm -hmm. it's a community it's a place where you go and like your story is at home you are at home it, it just something about that that feels like it, it speaks to the community that we're trying to build that it's not just about a co-working space it's not just about a production company because we do that too um, but it's also about the classes and the community and the fact that everybody is giving something to each other and being here. Right. At least I hope that's what the culture we're trying to build. I that's mean, the goal anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I, and I don't like necessarily giving a peek behind the curtain on sort of the ins and outs of this show, but I mean, by its nature, what we're talking about, what you're describing, the podcast experience that I go for is and and this is why I use only second person singular when I'm addressing a uh, a listener. Yeah. It's I want anyone who listens to this show feel like so you're sitting there, I'm sitting here. They're they are there. sitting in this chair right here. Great. And so because podcasting by its nature can be very solitary, but listening to a podcast is frequently solitary as well. It is. Unless you're listening to something like, you know, I don't know, wait wait don't tell me you know, with, uh, with a number of people and you're all sort of laughing and guessing along and whatever, yeah. but generally it's people in their cars. It's mm -hmm. people like walking their dogs. It's people in the gym, uh, with their headphones on. And so you're almost conveying to a person who listens to your show, who is good enough to let you into their lives that they're not alone. Yeah. Right. And so the two of us have connected here <laughs> they are connecting with us. Yeah. And that to me is, that's why this medium is so remarkable to me because you, you get to, even if you are not having the conversation, you are a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you were almost replicating that experience outside of the headphones uh, to me is again, just a terrific value proposition. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for saying that. And to that end, because empathy is, I think about empathy a lot. I did a whole, weird study for um 
one of these last organizations that I worked at where I went around and interviewed people about when was the last time that they experienced empathy? How did they experience it? What was it like? What triggered it? And one of the things that I learned in my conversations is that empathy does happen one way. It does happen. So you can witness Mm -hmm. something that, or you can hear something that the other person doesn't know that you are experiencing the empathy. Right. So it can happen one way, but connection doesn't happen one way. Like for people to be connected, it takes an in-person two-way thing. And so for that reason, this is one of the reasons why we're really excited about providing a, a medium that has such opportunity for empathy that does provide this really intimate one-on-one experience to also have a physical location for connection. Yeah. So we'll do live listening events. We'll do you know our, our live classes and workshops where we bring people in person. So that way you can still go home and you can listen alone. That's my favorite thing. I love media that moves with me. It's why hmm. I'm out there getting ready to market Denver as the ultimate podcasting city and podcast listening city because we're constantly moving. This is an, a very active community and an active yeah. society that doesn't like to sit behind the computer or sit while they're working. I mean, it's just people are constantly on the move here and they're all listening. They have headphones in. So this is primed for a podcasting city. And I, I definitely think it's great that people listen. I also think there is an opportunity for more conversations around the things we listen to and to connect around that. And so I'm excited for live shows and I'm excited to have even more forums, classes and workshops. And we even, we are getting uh, access. Oh, I might wait for a second. I don't care. You don't care? No, it it adds something to the show. (laughs) Okay. There's a garbage truck backing up out on the street and i bet you it's next to the montessori school i feel like i can hear every sound where it comes from. But, <laughs> well um, it's funny yeah you're very attuned to the technical side whereas <laughs> i i'm more willing to let it go i was doing a recording outside with one of my guests and there was this plane flying above yeah that was just circling and we're like okay this guy is practicing <laughs> and so but to me that's almost like that put them right on the patio as well. It does. So. Yeah, it's great. I think sound texture, there's no right way to do it. You know, right. it's like, it's whatever, whatever you're doing in your show that is you and your signature thing. And I, I think it's wonderful to bring people into the experience. I mean, that's the other piece going back to empathy um, and audio reality is it's, it's a way to transport your senses to the experience that someone is mm-hmm. having. And a listener is a co-author. So they are using the details that you give them to create the image in their minds. And so the sound of an airplane right. lets you know you were outside for that <laughs> interview and someone was definitely practicing nearby. So This is why I hate when people film radio shows mm-hmm. and put them on TV. Like, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the... Uh, like on E constantly in the late nineties was like stern mm-hmm. and radio is such uh, such a wonderful medium because you paint the picture with your mind. And so if you just film people talking, yeah. you, you ruin that for them, yes. you destroy it. And so like you see that with sports radio a lot, you know, like Dan Patrick or Mike and Mike or, you know, whoever Mike Fritz, I said, who's someone I loathe. 
or like Imus, you know, would be on like Fox Business in the morning and you'd watch this and you go, this is terrible. Uh-huh. Like I should be in my car. Just I, I don't want to see them doing this because watching someone do radio is not good television by design. By design. Because it's radio. Yeah. Face for radio. They say that for a reason. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's funny because as we were planning the studio, the wall behind you, it's white. We were going to paint it green and green screen it because we do get requests. I want to videotape myself podcasting. <sighs> and it, we, you know, I don't know. That's a mistake. I don't know. It, you like the white? You think we should keep it? Um, well, <laughs> not paint it bright green and let people videotape themselves podcasting. If people want to videotape themselves podcasting, I'm certainly not going to stop them, mm-hmm. but I'm also not going to watch it. Yeah. I'd like to see you try and stop them. It's like they turn on the video camera and John of all trades comes flying in off the street. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is sacred. <laughs> I'm like the, uh, the John of all trades symbol went up in the sky I know. and I was needed. Please don't videotape your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. You know, you can provide the important interventions that we all need. <laughs> well, Hey, you know what? I'm just one man. If you think people are going to enjoy this, uh, do it. I, it <laughs> Kyle Kinane has a joke about, I was not put on this earth to be a goalie, mm-hmm. which makes parenting challenging because you have to be a goalie like all the time. Oh. Uh, and so it's like, as long as you're not hurting anyone, yeah. I'm either going to help you do whatever you want to do or uh-huh. get out of the way. Okay. I want to understand the goalie thing in parenting a little bit more. So are you saying you are a goalie because you're trying to protect your own kids' lives because they're constantly falling off things? No, I'm saying more like, don't run out into the middle of the street. And so you have to prevent them or, you know, or don't put this in your mouth, especially with young, young kids. You need to protect them from themselves because they don't know. Mm. Or, you know, kids crave structure in a lot of ways. And so there's this philosophy of parenting where if you build in a schedule for them, you're going to eat at this time. You're going to sleep at this time. Your child, without realizing it, will sort of come to understand, oh, this is now when I'm going to eat and this is now when I'm going to sleep. And you minimize the uncertainty for them, which is really, really helpful. Hmm. So you end up having to be a goalie and you end up having to set rules and boundaries and structures. And as someone who has had historically problems with authority, it's not easy to transition to being the authority figure. Right. Because the absence of that is just so tough and so dangerous. I mean, this is just semantics, but I feel like you're playing more like defense than specifically a goalie. Uh, No, because your kid does think they want to do whatever this is (laughs) and you have to stop them. Like, for instance, Mm, my youngest is just pounding the hell out of the cat lately. (laughs) And so you've got to you've got to protect the cat. (laughs) Because, you know, that's not fair to, to Jack's. When, you know, when my youngest is just going up to him and she, she wants to love him and wants to play with him and then she just starts hitting him yeah. and you go, no, 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 no. And she gets mad at you because it's like, why won't you let me hit the cat? <laughs> Have you asked her why she wants to hit the cat? Like what drives her? Uh, she's one and a half. So <laughs> I still want to know. <laughs> I still want to know. Um, also, she's crazy. Okay. <laughs> so we call her Planet Lolo. Oh, that's uh, so cute. What's her name? Sloan. Awesome. So, yeah, and we call her Lolo. I just ad-libbed that one day, and her sister, my my oldest daughter, just picked up on that, grabbed onto it, and started calling her Lolo. Oh my and God. so that's her nickname. And... It's so cute. It's so original. <laughs> and Planet Lolo, like, what great branding. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I do some branding as part of my day job, and that's not, you know, 
<laughs> that certainly wasn't intentional. Yeah. But uh, it's a nice byproduct. Oh, for sure. You could trademark that. Yeah. So <laughs> Lolo. coming back to something that we were talking about was to me, the creation of House of Pod, because getting in here, you said a hundred bucks a month. That's, yeah. I mean, for a co-working space, that's nothing. I know. Like as long as you have sort of uh, an audio bent, you know, you're working on producing a show that that's sort of the way to get in here. Mm -hmm. To me, this feels like a move. And you also talked about democratization of communications channels. This to me feels like almost a move to try and make a middle class of podcasting where you can create high quality content at a very low sort of cost. And that makes me feel like a used furniture salesman putting it that way. You know, high quality product, low, low cost. Um, no cost to you. But it's, it's something that I'm keenly interested in because people think I make money on the podcast. Yeah. And I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I break even on it because I sort of trade promotion with my sponsor. Mm -hmm. uh, and they handle all my hosting costs. And they handle all my tech support and all that. By the way, visit 4Degrees. <laughs> the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot -E E-S. Um, but outside of that, there's not a ton of money in it because despite this being around for more than 10 years, I don't think the world has understood how to monetize podcasting either. Yeah. Where advertisers go... Yeah, we don't really know how how to evaluate this. Mm -hmm. And there are ways, you know, there's CPM, which is kind of a crappy way of doing it. Yeah. And then there's, uh, what is it, CPA, right? And that also kind of sucks because that's like an A to B action and it doesn't have sort of the built-in legacy that something like radio or television advertising does. Yeah. Is that something that you all talk about here too? Uh, we do a bit. Um, and honestly, hearing you speak about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that we should definitely be running a workshop on that. We need to do it more because I do think <laughs> I do think a lot of people come into this thinking that this is going to make the money and they're now going to quit their jobs and <laughs> they're just going to become a professional podcaster and it's not impossible by any means. In fact, like compared to other media out there, it's yeah. you are just as likely to make it in podcasting as you are as becoming a YouTube star. So, you know, mm. oh, that's true. It's 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 doable. Um I think we have other challenges than YouTube because we have such a visual society because so much of the way discovery <laughs> and SEO is, is it's optimized for things with words, hashtags, search terms right. and videos. It's not really for this specific podcast clip. Um, yeah, I, I am following the industry closely. I think it's something we are going to solve within the next five years. Yeah. I think even once we solve it, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to make bank podcasting. I mean, no. this is what I try and tell people. 500,000 podcasts on iTunes, there are 20, uh, 200 that that iTunes will list on a list of you know what is most popular and what to listen to. Yeah. And if you're not in that 200, it's pretty hard to be discovered. Um, it's not impossible, but it, it relies on those local communities. So again, that's, I think, another thing that I love about what we're doing here at House of Pod and working in some ways, I mean, certainly with Paul, but and through Paul, the Denver Podcasting Network, is putting an emphasis on listening locally, um, yeah. promoting our folks locally, doing live listening events where our members can launch uh, their first episode of a season and, and we have a community here ready to listen to them. It's not a lot of listeners, but they're quality listeners who yeah. you can build relationships with. And so while I can't completely, you know, crack the how do you make money podcasting nut, I can say that 
I think what we're going to do with House of Pod and the visions that I have for us here, specifically in Denver and other in other cities across the U.S., is to build really strong local listening communities that have access to their local podcasters to tune in and support in local ways. Nice. I think that's amazing. And people ask me, you know, how do you start a podcast? How do you grow a podcast? And you go, you build it a brick at a time. But here's here's the other thing that I say, which is, although, yes, it is something of a long shot for your podcast to be super prominent and, you know, make money from it. And, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of listeners, even tens of thousands of listeners is, I mean, that's a reach. Like, yeah, there's 500,000 podcasts. That's a lot of choice. And you're competing not only against that, but every other form of entertainment that's out there as well, yep. whether that's Spotify or Pandora or whatever. I always tell people when you build it, don't sell yourself short and build it to be the best that it possibly can be because you want it to be able to be scalable if you do take off. Yeah. And if for some reason you catch fire and you don't have the technical side dialed in or you're not ready to talk about your show in a real robust way, which is why you have to do so much of this at the front end. Yeah. Why does your show exist? What is its value proposition? Mm -hmm. What are you hoping it does? So that if, you do an episode that everyone loves and someone asks you that and you can't answer that. Yeah. Like you're going to miss that moment. Yeah. And, and the moments don't come by all that often. So it's funny too, because podcasting is one of those things where you just sort of build it in a vacuum and you don't have a lot of help along the way. You told me you went to a podcasting workshop. I have never actually been to a podcasting workshop ever. Yeah. And I've been on the air now for four years and so luckily I have a background in radio, so I sort of understand some of the rhythms of that. Like the the muscles and the muscle groups are not all that different. Mm -hmm. But uh, I wonder how this show would be different if something like this existed four years ago. And maybe it did, but I don't know. I don't know how it would be different. It's really, I mean, I know that's what you just asked, but knowing what I know, I feel like you'd almost be more hindered because <laughs> you would hold yourself to higher expectations of like, it should be like this, or I need to produce that. Whereas right now there's a certain organicness to your show. That's mm. like, yeah, airplane noises. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I think, um, I think you have to hold on to that. And I think it's something that as podcasting and all of this becomes more formalized, we all have to hold on to a little bit. Um, uh, like, I think it's okay. I'm going to give a few quick examples with the qualification that no one ever has to do anything. Right. Right. So last night in our podcasting 101 class, we played a story that I was taught in, in a workshop and it's, um, a story produced by someone who lives in Colorado Springs. Okay. And it's about seven or eight minutes, and it's called Just Another Fish Story. And I love it for a few reasons. I love it because all it is is voices. There is no narrator. There is no other sound effects. And you paint a really clear picture. It paints a really clear picture of everything the characters are smelling and tasting and touching and feeling. And it's something like 30 voices from a small town in Maine talking about 
this time a whale gets beached on the sand and dies okay. and they don't know what to do about it. It's like they're all so blown away by this whale and then it starts really smelling and then everyone starts complaining, but they love the whale, but they don't know what to do with the whale and they're all quite old. And so they end up digging this big hole. They get the grave digger to come and then they drop the whale in and then they all still go out and visit the whale underneath the, the sand. Okay. okay. So it's this very, very visual story, right? Yeah. But there are no sound effects of digging or oceans or seagulls. Yeah. There's no um, narrator telling you what's going on. Nothing. It's just these old, very thick main accents talking about the whale. We'll see, you know? Right. And I love it because it was produced in 2003. And I know if that was produced now, it would be different. Yeah. And I, I, I have people listen to that. I have people listen to Joe Frank. I have people mm -hmm. listen to the old greats of radio. And I'm like, okay. There was something pretty cool here and all because we have new technology and new skills and new tricks and new ways of sound designing and sound engineering. Please go explore all those frontiers. Right. Try new things that no one has done before, but don't get trapped in what you think things should sound like. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And what I tell people too is whatever choices you make, be intentional with them. Yeah. Yeah. And so... With my show, the, the spiritual predecessor to this show was WTF with Mark Marin. I mean, <laughs> one, one of the 400-pound gorillas, obviously. Sure, sure. But it's structured very much the same way where, you know, there's like a brief audio at the beginning and then I do a little bit of vamping and I, you know, I sort of tee up the guest and I try and color in the margins a little bit where we don't get to in the interview. And I tried for a while just talking about the slice of life stuff like he did. And I realized that's the sh part of his show that I liked least. Mm -hmm. And I would always forward through it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make mine as tight as possible. Yeah. And then there's a very brief audio thing. And then it's just the interview. Hmm. And so where I start the interview is, I'm not going to give that one up, but um, <laughs> I, I intentionally have a point where I start it. It's different for every interview, like contextually, yeah. but I know where I want it to be when we're talking yeah. and then, you know, more audio and I do an outro. So I did that on purpose. And then additionally, you know, the choice of making second person singular, the experience that I want to sort of capture, I thought about all that, yeah. you know? And so I know if I overproduce it, if I start doing the, the radio lab thing, <laughs> you know, you miss that. That's a much different type of listening experience. And so it's so fascinating to me t listening to you talk about that whale story because I think you're right. I don't think that story would be the same, not having heard it, obviously. But I kind of would like to hear that story produced now <laughs> and then listen to them both. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you could show people like, hey, here's what it would sound like today. Here's <laughs> what it sounded like in 2003. And when you do your own show make sure you're thinking about this contrast because you're going to leave your, your listeners with a much different experience. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> issue, I think you're right. And I think the issue I see is that we are moving, we are moving like unilinearly. I don't think that that's the right word, but we're all moving in, in the same general direction with podcasting. Right. And I'm just really excited to see a little bit more of a splatter effect. Yeah. Um, and I think we could do more of that instead of, oh, this is what someone does. I'm going to take that model and I'm going to, that's great. It's great. Right. And I'm totally with you about intentionality. Like we're producing a more produced show. We are hired to do it. We're using some radio lab tricks in it, and I'm floored. I think it's going to make the show great. Yeah. 
And I think it's really, I think it's important that we all learn how to do what is established well. It's, it's good. It's really good. People have spent years and so much money to figure out how to produce a great radio story. And even just trying, you may not do it, you know? So it's good to, it's good to learn and imitate and try. I also think it's fantastic to take this medium to places it's, it hasn't gone yet. And, and that's, that's why I am just, I use our workshops. I use our classes very much as a, this is what exists. Now go and, and like continue to create the frontier. Totally. Go to the dark parts of the sky that no one's gone yet. Like use the fact that you haven't maybe gone to a formalized class or you haven't been trained to come up with your own style and your own technique and your own way of doing things like that is unique to you. And I just think that there is so much room in this for that. And it's great because I'm faced with, I, I would, last year when I started going really public about House of Pod, I started getting all of these phone calls from pretty established producers mm-hmm. who were like, we are already having a really hard time getting people to listen to our show. And now you're going to go out there and encourage <sighs> more people to produce podcasts. Like oh, we don't need more people in this. And you know, they got really, they got kind of feisty with me about it. God, I hate yeah, that philosophy. Me too. And I was just like, you know, you could just use that to push you to be better or to learn more from what they're doing. They're going to help innovate the field. Like I was like, why are you being so protective about this? And they were like, I've been in radio for 30 years. This isn't fair. And I was like, I hear what you're saying. Um, and I think it's interesting that I've become the hotline for these calls as to why I should. It was almost like I was being bullied. Don't open house a pod. We don't want all the new people coming in. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I just kind of listened to see what I could learn from the, from the situation. And what I saw was a, a fear of the, of what new people can bring to podcasting and that it's going to upset what has existed before. And, you know, I think it's going to happen inevitably. So you can either be afraid of it or you can encourage it and then join the ride and evolve or die. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, yeah. Radio. (laughs) Uh, Grow some legs, (laughs) but yeah, get out of the sea. All right. On land here is great, but uh, it reminds me of something that Pat Oswalt said where he said there's in, in comedy, which, you know, is his sort of Mm -hmm. medium. There's a philosophy that says, you know, once you get to the club, right? Once you're in the room, yeah. there are people who want to slam the door behind them and not let anyone else in. Yeah, yeah. And that to me is just ridiculous. Yeah. And additionally, your note about hear what's out there. Like listen to the radio labs, listen to the WTFs, like listen to this American yes. life, which set the template. Understand all that because when I interviewed Jason Heller on this show, who's a music writer, people talk to him all the time. Like, Hey, I'd love to be a music writer. And he said, Okay, first of all, you do need to listen to a lot of music, which you're probably already doing, but you also need to read a ton of music writing. Yeah. So, you know, you know what Lester Bangs has mm-hmm. written. You know, you've read Grail Marcus's Lipstick Traces. Like, you know how these people have written about music. Yeah. And you are going to not emulate them, but you need to understand what's out there first. Exactly. And so... The fact that there are people out there who go, you can't start this. We don't want more podcasters. Oh, pound sand. Give me a break. (laughs) Like, I I just, I don't subscribe to that. And I'll drop one more reference on you. My favorite philosopher is Erasmus. Mm. And Erasmus wrote something called On Copia. Mm -hmm. And basically, Copia is, you can say the same sentence in like thousands of different ways. And so there are 
so many different ways to think about podcasting. And if you examine them and you look at them and then figure out your own path within there, there's, mm-hmm. there are 500,000 podcasts. Yes. But the niche that you have is unique to you completely. So no one can produce, no one can, whatever you can produce, you're not going to produce like what, what they do. Like you can only uniquely do what you can do. That's right. And that's what I tell people will be like, oh, there's already a podcast about beer. I'm like, there is, there are many. Yeah. I'm sure whatever you put out there will be unique to you. Figure out uh yeah, figure out a way to do it. Listen to all those beer podcasts mm-hmm. and go, what are they not talking about? Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, I think we need to wrap up. This is the part on the show where we do plugs. So cat <laughs> plug house of pod. Where can we find you on the web in person? Uh, anything you want to plug? It's yeah. all yours. Okay. Um, we are in the Olympic Auditorium in downtown Denver. It's called House of Pod. We're a podcasting co-working space, a production company, and an education hub. We provide free classes on Tuesday nights, not always. So check our website, which is houseofpod.org. We also teach in senior centers and junior centers. So please get in touch with us if you want us to bring a workshop to your school And we do anything from podcast memberships, which are monthly memberships where you can come in and produce unlimited as you see fit in the windows that we have open for recording. Or you can do a one-on-one consultation for the month in which we bring you in. We start you with your idea. We get you to iTunes. And then we hold your hand along the way to make sure you keep producing for a month. Um, and do not pod fade, which is where you start something and you do not finish it. And ah, yes, the podcast as abandoned strip mall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm familiar with the phenomenon really where know. people go, "Wow, this was a lot of work. I didn't know that I'd have to produce this much." Yeah, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're here to help you through through that construction process. And I think those are all my big plugs on Instagram. We're House of Pod. On Facebook, we're House of Pod org, and on Twitter, we're House of Pod. Fantastic, Kat. Well, this was an enormous pleasure. I'm glad we finally got to connect. (laughs) And you know what? I I am certain that we will crisscross more as we go forward. Thank you for what you're doing for podcasting and continued success to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on your show. And that wraps up episode 176 of the John of All Trades podcast with Kat Jaffe, the founder of House of Pod. Kat, thank you for having us in your house Letting me check out your equipment is a remarkable setup there. You're doing great work, and I can't wait to collaborate with you in the future. Houseofpod.org is the web address. Deft Communications is the production company, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. The sponsors for degrees. Number four, D-E-G-R-E.es. I give them a plug at the end of every week. And the reason I do is because I am so proud to feature their work. If you were doing anything in the web space, whether it's web design, social media marketing, online advertising, whatever you can think of, if you have a candidate, a service, or a product that needs to get out in front of an audience, they will find that audience for you. Get the right message in front of them at a cost that you are going to love. The number four, D-E-G-R-E.es. The John of All Trades podcast rolls on. I've got more interviews in the can, and they are all over the map. You are going to love the content coming at you. The only place to get the jump on exclusive episode previews is Facebook. That's J-O-A-T pod. Those go up on Monday. That keys out the episode a little bit so you know what's coming before anyone else. Wednesday, new episodes drop. iTunes, Stitcher, and the homepage, johnofalltrades.us. 
what else can I tell you? I'll see you back here next week. We're going to keep on rolling. And until I do, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak.